Welcome to Neighborhood Church. To learn more about who we are as a community or to financially support Neighborhood, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. All right. All right. So, today, you are here on the best of all Sundays because uh, we are talking about your favorite thing, sin. Aren't you glad? Isn't that wonderful? Like, that word just makes you feel like full of light and joy. Like, I was hoping we were going to talk about sin, right? Um, and we're talking about sin because the way you think about God really, really matters, right? And we call that theology. And, like, theology is not a fun word, right? There's, like, you don't, like, show up at a party like, hey, are we talking theology or what, my man, right? And it's not. But it's, like, critically uh, important because the way you think about God is going to shape how you walk into a room. The way you think about God, intentionally or unintentionally, is going to impact your sleep. It's going to influence of when you see someone who's different than you, how you respond or how you react. Um, I had a professor, um, do you guys know I'm in seminary? No big deal, all right. So uh, I had a professor say that there should be a, theolo- a theologian, regardless of whatever uh, um, faith stream that they're a part of, should be at every meeting at Capitol Hill. Because when they're uh, enacting a policy, right, a theologian would help them think um, how you view people or how you view humanity or how you view, how you view like values or ethics is going to shape how you come up with this policy. And if you want that duplicated, right, or are you sure you want that duplicated in other parts of society to help people think through how we come to decisions really matters. And um, how you think about God is going to also then think about shape how you view sin, right? Because like if you're like and like me, what was handed to me about sin was quite um, toxic. And in Romans chapter six, we're continuing our series in Romans. Um, uh, Paul talks a lot. Actually, six, seven, and eight. Paul transitions talking about if we're really to be like resurrected people, if we're supposed to be Jesus-looking people. What does life actually like look like? What is it actually like? Um, how do we actually play it out? And in chapter six, he talks a lot about sin, and he bookends it um, at the beginning of the chapter and at the end of the chapter. Um, he, he has like, these big points on sin. And chapter six starts off with um, uh, he says, "If are we to keep sinning so that we can experience the glory of God?" Right, and then he ends it. And this will all make sense. He ends it with Romans 6.23, which is like a banger, especially if you were like a good, like teenage evangelical Christian who you tried getting all your friends like saved. Anyone else? Am I the only one? Right? Like I had Christian t-shirts. Yeah, I did. All right. I burnt my Green Day CDs, right? All in the name of the Lord, right? And I would try talking. <laughs> I really did. And I tried getting my friends to say this prayer because that was what I was told that we were supposed to do. And you know this verse um, if you're trying to get your friends saved. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And uh, why this uh, really matters is because like 15-year-old Chris, when I was a uh, good old fundamental uh, evangelical Christian, um, these two verses really impacted me a lot. Because the way I thought about God, uh, which was handed to me, would have read that verse more like this. For the wages of sin is death! <laughs> right? It was like, 
I was so afraid of sin, like deathly afraid of sin. Like I had accountability partners to make sure that I didn't sin, which you just lied about it, but you still told them stuff, right? Um, Nikki and I, when we were dating, we were told that we should be afraid of each other's bodies, but our bodies told us a different narrative, right? So we'd be like, hey, we have to make sure that we're never alone because in what might happen is we might sin. Even though we prefer that, but we know we shouldn't, right? And if we can even be like that close to each other, we just feel super guilty all the time. Sin was something uh, not just to be consciously aware of, it was something that you had to like run away from. And the problem is, is that um, I still sinned, right? Like I wasn't good. And if you sinned, you weren't good, you were bad. And if you're bad, right, then you had to ask for repentance. And for me, what was, what was taught to me is that if you sin, you have to like, oh, how do I put this? You had to like, like feel horrible about yourself. And I would spend hours crying and begging God to forgive me, right? I even had like songs that would sing that would like, like I thought like this would help with my repentance. This would help with my forgiveness. And I, I would just like, please God, forgive me, please, please, please. Because what I was taught is that sin is death. And with death comes finality. With death comes destruction. And the idea of hell, right, literally scared the hell out of me, right? It did. I was so afraid of going to hell because if I sinned and I didn't get forgiven and I got hit by a car or my heart stopped or whatever it is, then I would be for all eternity separated from God. And that, you know, we talked about like uh, yelling gets the shoes on. Hell keeps you in check. If you really believe in conscious torment for all eternity, it really keeps you motivated to stay in your lane. And so I'd spend these hours crying and begging God to forgive me. And at some point, I would believe I was forgiven. I don't know what makes you forgiven. I don't know how long you have to like beg or ask for it. And I'd move from this place of like death and destruction, and I'd move into like this like um, total like like ecstasy, right? I just would move into like the new mercies every day. And I felt amazing. And as I was thinking about it, when Paul says in the beginning of chapter six, should we keep sinning so that we can experience the glory of God? And Paul says, no, like the glory of God is rapidly available to everybody. But like 50-year-old Chris felt that. I felt like the only way I can experience the glory of God is when I do bad things. Because if you do bad things, then you have to go through the whole process, but then you get, like, you feel like you're worthy of getting God's blessing. Which is a very toxic way of viewing God, right? It's like someone who is hurting you, someone who's abusing you. And you go to them and say, I am so sorry that I made you hit me. I'm so sorry that I did these things that made you hate me. And then on the other end, come around to the other side and say, oh, thank you for still accepting me. I'm so sorry I was bad. I'm so glad now that you love me. It is a very toxic way of thinking about spirituality and God. But this is what was handed to me as a teenager. Like, they would say things. Um... We would have conferences or we'd have these events. And at the, 
this might be a trigger warning, like for you, I apologize, right, for young evangelicals. Um, but they would say things, like they'd uh, get the room quiet, they'd put on some music, the room would get dark, and they'd have everyone close their eyes, and they'd say things like, with every eye closed, with every heart open, right? Anyone remember that, right? And they'd say words with this tone of voice to make you feel a little bit better, right? And they'd say stuff like, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity? Right? And I'm like, I'm, I'm dying tonight? What's, what's going on? I'm thinking about Nikki and how we can possibly get alone for a little bit. Now you're talking about death as a 15 year old, right? But they would do that as a way of like bringing you to this place of where you can make this decision so that you can be free from your sin. Sin was such a thing to be afraid of. So like, let's just take a little bit of talk about sin. Like, what is sin? Like, if you're defining it, and in your head, you're probably thinking of like, oh, I was told not to do those things, not to think these things. You know what sin, like, literally is? Sin just means to miss the mark. That's it. If I could take that word and remove all the emotion that is attached to that word, and we could just say, like, yeah, like, we're a room full of sinners. That's what we do, right? But it's nothing that you, like, break about. Like, hey, man, I sinned. <laughs> You're welcome, right? Like, to miss the mark means you are human. It means you're alive. It means you tried. It means, like, you wanted to end up here, but instead you hit it here. And you know what repentance means? Like, repentance isn't about crying. Repentance isn't about begging. Repentance is just moving your energy into something else. It is a different direction. It's redirecting. That is all it means. So what it means then is the sin is missed the mark. And repentance is, oh, I better try again. So we're going to have a public confession time. <laughs> we are. I'm going to start it, right? And actually, I'm the only one who's going to do it. So they're going to be like, Chris, we're going to make us confess. Here is public confession time in a room full of sinners, right? Hi, my name's Chris Sutter. I am a sinner. And uh, my sin is that I don't eat lunch. Sometimes I forget to eat lunch because I work too hard, <laughs> right? Seriously, like I have a goal of I want to be healthy and I want to be this kind of dad, I want to be this kind of partner, pastor, friend. And I will have a small breakfast and then it'll be like 2 or 3 p.m. And I'm like, why is my hand shaking? That's so weird, right? It's like, oh, food is fuel, and I forgot to eat, right? I do this on a regular basis. That's a sin. I want to be healthy, and I miss the mark, right? So by repenting, I like pack a lunch. I pack yogurt, right? I have some chia seeds in the fridge downstairs in case I forget, right? Because I want to redirect my energy to be the kind of man I want to be on purpose. That's confession time is now over, right? That's that, that's what sin is. Now, is there consequences? If I deliberately every time says, I'm not gonna eat lunch because I'm gonna prove my body that I'm in control. That's dumb. But right? Is there consequences for missing the mark? Absolutely. So does can sin be horribly dangerous? It can be. But it's in and of itself, it's not something we have to be afraid of. In order to like hit the mark, you have to know where you want to be on purpose. You have to have some sort of goal. You have to have some sort of, some idea of where you want to end up and then be in relation to yourself and maybe other people that can help you realize, hey, you sin. 
You said you wanted to save this one money. You said you wanted to do this with your body. You said you want to do this with your career. And now we can like, it's actually like a very healthy conversation to talking about sin. Okay, we'll get to that with that a little bit later. So, I love that. Room full of sinners. So then what does Paul mean? And when he says, like at the end, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What he's trying to say is like, like, like sin is going to be a part of our life. And do you want to be enslaved to sin? Or do you want to be enslaved to righteousness? Because the wages of sin just means this. A wage is something you invest in. Like if you work a job, you invest in your job and then you get a wage. You get paid because of the time you put into it. And he says, if you like invest in sin, if you continually miss the mark, if you're not aware of what's happening, well, you're going to have death. But like, not like the way it was handed to me as a teen. Not like death, like you're going to die. It just means what kind of life do you really want to live? What kind of human do you really want to be? What kind of like relationship do you want to have with your partner? What kind of relationship do you want to have at work or, or with, with God? And if you continue to invest in this, you're going to just keep getting this. Then he says, but um, the gift of God is eternal life. And eternal life, we like to think of like heaven, right? There's just like, um, there, there, there's a, a wider way of thinking about this. Because how much did Jesus talk about eternal life? Like, actually not a lot, right? He did, like a little bit. And Paul is a great, like, um, a Jewish brilliant thinker. In the Old Testament, how much they talk about eternal life, how much they talk about heaven. Like, not a lot at all, right? So what is Paul getting at, right? I believe he is talking about eternal life, but when Jesus talked about it, he says, Jesus says, um, I'm a pastor, so I should know this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is saying this prayer, saying whatever the reality is out there, wherever that idea of heaven is, eternal life, see, it sounds like Jesus is way more interested in that becoming a reality here and now. So death, when Paul says, what you've seen is death, if you invest it, it's not like you're saying you're going to go to hell in the same way. If, you, if you're moving in step with Christ, then you have eternal life. He's saying that heaven and that beauty and whatever that future reality is, is here and now. It's all about in this body, in this space, being present and awake to it. And he says, if you want that, if you want that kind of life, he says, it's in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is where Paul gets like... Um, with, I don't know the way to think about it is like really nerdy because Paul uses words very specifically. He talks about putting your heart and your mind on things above. He talks about how we are um, with Christ. But here, he's talking about this, this experience of eternal life is in Christ Jesus. And it's very specific because what Paul is saying is we have to be literally in Christ, which I had a pastor uh, talk to me and gave me this description that I will never forget. Now I pass it on to you, right? When we were kids, we were taught to ask Jesus to come into our heart, right? Which as a kid can be absolutely terrifying. <laughs> like, I mean, Jesus is like, in my heart, get him out of there. Um, right? Yeah. Um, but it's actually the inverse. The pastor said, being in Christ Jesus is like Jesus unzipping himself and saying, hey, come on in, my man. Right? You get like in that little flesh suit of Jesus. And wherever Jesus like lifts his leg, your leg goes up. And when Jesus shows up at a party, you show up like to have that kind of life, 
what Paul is saying is that we have to embody. We have to actually like do and believe and trust that who Christ is is who we are. It's it's about the way that Jesus would show up to party that we would mimic. Like the way that like thoroughly believe and mimic the way that when Jesus saw something was different than him, that we would do the same. We believe and think and behave in the same way that Jesus had some understanding of who Jesus was in relation to God, right? Of how Jesus viewed people who were marginalized, that we would do the same thing. Paul puts strong, strong emphasis is that it's not just this belief, it's not just this intellectual idea. Like, uh, as Americans and Christians, we have put such an emphasis on what we believe, which, again, what we believe really doesn't matter, but those beliefs have to translate into what we actually do and who we are. And Paul, many times over again, says that if we're to be called Christians, if we're to move in the kingdom of God, it's in, that's what we believe, it's in what we actually do. Which is really, really, really good news. Because now, we don't have to be afraid of this idea of sin. Instead, we can like own who we are. We can be awake to who we are. And we can move in the nature of Christ. But there's a big idea in there. Is we have to be aware of what Christ did, what Christ believed, and what Christ is continuing to do. Which is, the good news is because we get to be real full of sinners, who get to inspire one another and remind one another that we can continue to encourage one another. Because to confess then doesn't have to be like, hey, Kiri, uh, can I confess to you right now? Right? Confession of that you want to live a better life can look and sound like this. Um, you raised like three amazing adult children. How did you do that? That can be confession. They're saying, I want to be a good parent on purpose. I want to know what the mark is. It could be like, you, um, how do you afford to go on a vacation every year with, with your kids? It could be, it seems like you have a really great like uh, marriage. How, how do you guys do that on purpose? Confession then can be just out of relationship. It can be this idea of being curious and wanting to grow and wanting to continue to evolve. I believe we have to like, Normalize that. It, that's actually one of my favorite parts about <laughs> my favorite parts about church um, is when we get done, right? <laughs> that's everyone's favorite part of church is when it's done. Wrap it up. Let's get out of here. But then, like, people turn around and they talk to one another. Like, people don't leave right away because they want to connect. They want to learn. They want to laugh. They want to inspire one another. And to me, that's what church is really. All about. Now, I wish someone would give this message to me when I was 15. I spent way, way too much time living in fear instead of just being a kid, instead of just being human. So, if you are here and you are in a place where you feel like you're some horrible, horrible sinner, right? I'm here to encourage you that you are human. And we can grow. And you can do hard things. And repentance really does mean we can pivot our energy. And maybe it's time to, like, pivot your energy. Like, you ever been around that friend that for, like, the last five years, they keep complaining about the same thing? Right? Like, every time they're like, oh, I hate my boss, I hate my job. It might be time to repent. 
It might be time to get that therapist. It might be time to like fill out the resume. It might be time, right, to put up that boundary with your parents. It might be time to like actually think through what is it you really, really do believe. We don't have to stay in the same place. And we don't have to live in fear of that. Instead, there is a good and beautiful God that is inspiring us, that is inviting us to move that energy so we can be our fullest selves. So, my encouragement to you today, what I hope you take away with, is that you are worth it. You are worth investing in yourself. You are worth doing that hard thing. You are worth that hard conversation. You are worth, like, trying to raise amazing kids and maybe yelling to get your shoes on, right? You are absolutely worth it because there's a good, beautiful God who wants nothing but good, beautiful things for you. So let's pray, and then we'll wrap it up. So God, we love you, and I thank you for the invitation that we can be in Christ. And I ask God that you would show us what it looks like to be in Christ, so we really can show up in rooms, and what we can offer is love, inclusion, and flourishing. And I pray that, honestly, that you would, like, we'd have some idea, some recognition of what kind of humans we want to be. And then we can like take an honest evaluation of maybe where we've missed that mark. And then we, you'll give us the energy and the inspiration and wisdom to repent, to move that energy to try again. And I pray God would use us to do good and beautiful things this week. And we love you. Amen. Alright friends. Uh, thank you for being in this space with me today. If you have questions or you'd like to process or you'd like prayer, um, I'm going to be here until the last person leaves. So enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for coming.